Oh, oh, one more thing. Just One More Thing, a podcast about Columbo. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris, and on this episode, we'll be discussing Blueprint for Murder. Originally broadcast on February 9th, 1972, directed by Peter Falk. Written by Stephen Bochco and William Kelly, and starring Patrick O'Neill, Forrest Tucker, Pamela Austin, Betty Ackerman, Janice Page, and, of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. Each time we're joined by a special guest, this time we've got a returning guest author and columnist Mallory Ortberg is back with us. But before we bring her on, John, Listen, would you uh, like to design my burial vault? Would I ever, RJ. And uh, on top of that, Columbo has got piles. Oh, no. More to the, oh, poor guy. Uh, more to the point, though, he's investigating construction piles on a building site for the corpus shit kickerus of Texas entrepreneur Bo Williamson. Turns out Bo isn't the biggest fan of his wife's favorite architect, classical music-loving tennis aficionado and heavy stress drinker Elliot Markham. And the feeling is mutual. When Bo destroys the tiny city Markham loves so much, the (laughs) full-size version of which Bo's young wife was funding without her husband's knowledge, Markham makes an urban legend come to life. Hiding in the backseat of Bo's lightly customized Texas mobile, Markham holds a gun to the big man's head and... Uh... I don't know, because we don't see the murder. But what we do see is Markham manipulating our favorite rumpled detective into providing a foolproof dumping site for the presumed victim's body. Or does he? Either way, thanks to his dogged perseverance and the brassy encouragement of Williamson's glamorous first wife, Goldie, Columbo is on site to deconstruct a many-storied murder mystery. Goldie. Oh, Goldie. Oh, Goldie. Welcome back to the program, Mallory. It's great to have you back. Uh, You were one of our first guests... Uh, talking about Etude in Black, we brought you back for uh, Mrs. Colombo, and so uh, we're, we're kind of on the back end of things. We're about done, so we definitely wanted to have you on uh, at least one more time. How have you been, and how have you? How's your Colombo been? Hey guys, I, it's great. I've, I've been well. It's funny. I think my first episode, Etude in Black, was the first episode of season two, and this is the last episode of season one. Okay. So, oh yeah. Oh, man. That's mildly. There you relevant. go. Yeah, sure. No, but uh, I'm doing great. I'm I'm actually calling you guys from my best friend's house in Utah, and it's beautiful here. Oh, Utah! Nice. Wow. Yeah. Uh, where, um, where in Where in Utah? In the mountains, in like a James Bond villain style fortress above. No us. shit. Neat. Oh, yes. It 100. percent Every time I come here, I expect to see Blofeld like hiding somewhere. Is there a giant like octopus logo on the wall anywhere, holding a <laughs> knife, stabbing the earth? There is a chandelier made of antlers. What eh, close what? enough. Close enough. Yeah, that's close yeah, that's, enough. That's clearly like it's the hunting lodge for which weirdos we always hear about. Uh, well, I actually want to ask you, uh, bring up the fact that uh, this, yeah, it's the last episode of season one. Uh, when I sent the list of what we had left, you chose this. Uh, why did you uh, choose this one out of what oh, we golly. had? Left? You know, if memory serves, I think it was just there were a bunch from like much much later seasons, which are you know. Uh, I don't want to be too hard on the later seasons. A little just, uneven. It can be yeah, a little yeah. uneven, we found, yes. Sometimes it misses some of the magic, and I thought I'd love to get something in, in the, you know, 70s if possible. And I think this was the earliest one available. I wish I had a fabulous reason. I wish it was like, oh, I have a deep personal connection to Patrick O'Neill, and <laughs> but I don't. Yeah, that's yeah, a good enough reason. It's fine. And Patrick O'Neill, I didn't realize until afterward, uh, looking him up, I completely forgot he is the uh, head of the network 
uh, from Make Me a Perfect Murder. Watch oh, this wow. entire thing. I didn't even realize that until it was all finished. That's so, Did you actually yeah. ever, by the way, tallied up how many evil architects show up on Columbo? <laughs> like, it's got to be a few, right? I think there's... Once. Uh, I don't know. Actually, it'd be an interesting thing to kind of plot out, and I'm sure somebody has or somebody could, um, which professions have produced the most, most murders. Often, yeah. film, I was actually thinking I, that people would be in the film, People in the medical industry, people in the film industry, people in creative services mm. like architects and artists. Um, I know we've had a lot of like local TV hosts who've ended up killing people. So right. that's a Apparently. really big one. Apparently, a person named George Leonidas Leslie went from being uh, an architect to a bank robber. Oh, Ooh. when was this? Is this like some back in the nineteen thirties, forties, something like that? Eighteen hundred, something 1800s. like that. Yeah. So okay. Wow, what drove him to it? Was he trying trying to raise money for his magnum opus building? He could not get investors to do it, or just like <laughs> eh, it's easier robbing banks and uh, drawing. Uh, oh, and stuff. If we're having if we're having this conversation, yeah. comic books love a mad architect. They yes. do. Like I can actually, ones? I can Who? I can throw two at you that are in my form, my latest book. Oh, what? Uh, which ones? There is one actually called the Mad Architect. Okay. Who his whole shtick is uh, when people don't like his buildings, he murders them. And there's an architect. <laughs> there's an architectural <laughs> league, and they they don't allow him to join because his work is garbage, and he just. Runs around stabbing all of them. And in order to catch him, uh, the superhero Yellow Jacket arranges to use his assistant as bait uh, and has her home address read out over the radio. Oh, God. Which which brings the mad architect out of hiding, but also basically threatened her life for the rest of time. Yeah. And the Blackhawks fought a really interesting guy called the Jailer. Oh, who, I, I remember uh, this. I remember this in the book. Yeah, I yeah. remember thinking this was actually a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a he was a frustrated prison designer from a long line of prison designers. Oh, sure. And he, he had submitted a prison idea that he thought had been turned down because the the news was reporting it for some reason about a new type of prison. But actually, it was somebody else's shitty type of prison that got turned down. That's not news. I don't know why you would no. put that on the news. No. Anyway, so he decides to prove he is quite the uh, jailer by creating special weird traps for all the Blackhawks. And then when they catch him, irony of ironies, they put him in the prison that he was he wanted them to have built. Wah, wah, wah. I was kind of thinking like a good Columbo murderer, architect murderer, could have like built a trap door into his building. And just like Oh, or he's the only one who knows that's there. And that's how he right, actually gets like, sneaks out. He puts, yeah. it, he puts it in the apartment of the guy he doesn't like. Oh, that's actually a really good idea for yeah, a bird show thing. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Too bad they're not making them no more. Yeah, great. Thanks, Hollywood. Thanks, Holly Weird. <laughs> thanks, Obama. Yeah, thanks, Obama. Please. Yeah. Anyway, this episode you, you brought up a very uh, very um important odd distinction for this one um, in your intro, John, in that, yeah, you don't see the murder occur. Nope. You don't see exactly how he kills him. You don't see any of that, which is really, really strange, and I'm wondering why they did that. I I noticed that, too. The first time I watched this episode, I actually thought for a minute that like I had lost something because it just jumps so quickly to him driving the car with the music playing. I thought, like, we always see the murder. Right, yeah, like, like they, they lost a reel. The, the, the guy in the screening room, he's, the projectionist, got uh, got sick or drunk or something and just dropped and lost it. But no, it just it goes from 
a gun on him in the car, which I love that shot, by the way, where Forrest Tucker gets in the car, plays music. You don't see O'Neill behind him until Forrest Tucker leans over and he's just there in the back seat. Right, he's not hiding at all. Oh man, it was, right. it was it was a really great shot. It was like a really good kind of shocking thing, like oh ah, like some fifties uh, like a scare movie kind of thing or something like that. It was kind of fun. So what happens? What happens when your hat is that big? Oh yes, <laughs> that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Um, Did you guys? By the way, I, I had such a hard time believing that Bo is just gonna get up and walk in into that little uh, side room without putting up a fight after like all of his bluster, the whole first couple of minutes. I'm like, no way is that guy just going to get up and walk away. Cause you told him to. Right. I know. And that, that's why you kind of wonder like, well, what happened? I want to know what happened in that room. Like it must, yeah, maybe it was a fight. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. That, that why is such a weird thing to cut away from it. Cause you know, yeah, I got a gun on him, was, but yeah. 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 My only thought was maybe like, Peter Falk acting and directing, like there was just some stuff he had to cut. Or I, I had heard, I was reading about how um, he'd been fighting with the network for a while about getting to direct and never directed after this. And they gave him one of the most like technically difficult episodes. So maybe he was just exhausted. He was like, ugh, screw the murder this week. They know there's a murder. Or there's going to be like this, this very, very elaborate special effects laden scene written in the script. Like, ah, oh, no, we can't afford that. He's got a killed off screen. Sorry. We can't, we can't killed. afford to have, yeah. He killed Bo with a robot and a laser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can't do that. This we can't shoot this. This is ridiculous. We use at least use sound effects. For my, like we'll have the camera outside the door for five minutes of sound effects of the robot All and I'm lasers. Now is the scenes from Star Trek the motion picture, like where they're just really excited to show you all the technology they've developed. <laughs> right. It takes air. it takes twenty minutes to go around the ship at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have to. There's that scene in Star Trek where they melt somebody in the transporter just so they can show you, like, this is what transporters do. Yeah, they can melt people, yeah. sure. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> uh, while we're on this, about the Falk directing thing, I, I thought this was actually a very uh, visually interesting episode. There's a lot of camera movement, cameras following people around, uh, a lot of interesting shots. I thought he did a good job with it. I'm wondering why he never did it again, if he just didn't want to. Or the studio thought it wasn't great. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought that the directing seemed excellent from this totally non-professional opinion. Um, I, the only thing I could seem to find was that they, they thought it was going to be a very technically difficult um, episode to shoot. And so maybe it was just like so overwhelming that he was just like, this is not worth the hassle. Um, but it's certainly not that he did a bad job. No, not at all. I thought it was really good. In fact, I'm I'm surprised that this was the only one out of the entire thing. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was very vocal and very opinionated with other directors and other episodes of the run, <clears throat> like uncredited stuff. Um, but yeah, for one doing one flat out himself, yeah, I'm a little I'm a little surprised that this was it. For him. Well. He burned some goodwill with Levinson and Link, apparently, over this. Okay. So, that might have something to do with it. That would be a huge reason. Okay, yeah. It is weird, that though, he did not move on to direct anything else. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, um, he had a movie sense, a really film sensibility, and it would have been interesting to see him take it to the big screen. Yeah, and I thought, I mean, even so many shots just take place in a giant, giant pit, and it mm -hmm. doesn't really ever get boring that he's in just a giant giant pit like he actually uses that space very very well um and also i'd kind of be interested to know what building was put up there because that is a real construction site yeah. and i'd really like to know what 
building site they took over for however long it took to to shoot all that stuff. And what's there now? I I, uh, I, I know it's in Century City, but I okay. can do do a little research while we chat. And it's Nakatomi Plaza. No, it's yes, <laughs> that would be amazing, but no, wouldn't be that. Yeah, so uh, weird, weird murder set up in this. Um, the acting's kind of okay, except uh, the current wife, the young wife, that is, her performance is a little lacking. And <laughs> they know. have, yeah, and they have her on a lot for uh, for an actor who is not very good at acting. I'm both she has, no, it, yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you guys remember High Noon with Gary Cooper, Yes. But it's got Grace Kelly as his new wife and Katie Hirado as his, like, former lover. And it's kind of the same thing where, like, you know, bless Grace Kelly. She could wear dresses nicely. I just never thought much of her acting. Um, right. As much yeah. as, like, I want to give her a fair shake. You don't want to just dismiss her because she was good looking. But, like, she was kind of wooden and her very best work was not phenomenal. Right. And, like, next to Katie Hirado, who is just this force of nature in the movie you're just like what guy would go from katie harado to this little like butter won't melt in her mouth stick of wood <laughs> and it, it was kind of like that in this episode of just like who would pass up a lifetime with goldie for like this kid who's just like minutes, yeah. i may not be very smart lieutenant colombo but i know when i've called the police and it's just like that all right the- Best self-own in the history of the show. <laughs> I may not be the smartest person. Oh, God, it was delightful. Oh, uh, yeah, Goldie. Goldie was a heck of a character. At first, her whole shtick of Goldie and the gold LeMay, I thought I'd get tired of it, but I, I was fine with it. She's a, she's a fun character. I really, really like her a lot. I wish there was a way they could have brought her on for other episodes. Like Maybe she was just married to a lot of men who were later killed. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I, and uh, she's gold widow. And she's really fun. <laughs> and she's really oh. fun to play off of Falk, just because she's big, but not in a way that feels domineering. Uh, it feels like generous in the scene. They seem like they're having fun together. A lot more right. fun than he's having with Patrick O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I Patrick... did feel like O'Ne- O'Neill was a little stiff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked him well enough, yeah. but uh, yeah, it just didn't. Like I, I never really got the impression that he would be driven to the point of that he was that desperate to get to the point of killing yeah. somebody. Yeah, like I just didn't buy that. I could, yeah, I don't think it. It didn't feel like his reputation or his wealth was at stake. No, it's just he. Okay, then you, you're going to have to hustle around for other investors. Exactly, and he's to, he's a celebrity architect, and he's apparently got a lot of cred. Right, and and whatever he was planning to build was going to probably end up sucking and be very dated in twenty years anyway. It was going to be Anthem, Arizona, is what it was. Yeah, it's just one of those just weird compound things. It's like, eh. yeah, Yeah. we've got we've got dozens of those all in uh, in the surrounding areas of Tucson and Phoenix, and they're all gross. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you turned a post office into a community. Yes. So I mean, it's kind of weird because. I mean, the uh, some of the summaries for this episode you read, they refer to him as a con man, and I guess he's not really a con man. He's just sort of mm-hmm. a, you know, kind of a mediocre architect in the international style. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he actually is building a building. Um, he's yeah. trying to, like, you know, run a fast one on this guy, but he's not. And, yeah. and maybe that would have been more interesting, actually, if 
then that would have given us some of that desperation if he had genuinely like been like a music man style right like, yes there mm-hmm. like oh there's actually no cement it's just like four <laughs> trombones and a half yeah but i mean that would have been amazing because i mean it, it's kind of odd because uh, the building site they're on it's not even for this project that oh. uh williamson's gonna be it's a completely different project it's just a huge ugly boring building um so it's kind of odd that well he's got the I, I don't know it was I, I never right. thought why he was that desperate to kill the guy for the money. Yeah. It feels like it would have made more sense if he had been in the middle of trying to build the project he's right. getting the funding pulled for. That would have felt more urgent. Right. It's so early that yes he could go around it would take him a few years but go around and try to get the money for some version of it. It's not right. like he was desperate enough like oh we're breaking ground Tuesday I, I got to have these tens of millions of dollars like no I don't. You're fine. Yeah. yeah. All the yeah. time in the world. And and it was it super clear if he was having an affair with the young wife or no. At times it seemed like maybe, but then at times it seemed like now he just talked her into spending the money on this thing. So I'm not sure exactly. Right. Well, there so right. wasn't even a motive. There's a weird phenomenon going on in this where a lot of the characters are being defined by the other characters rather than you know, uh, deciding on who they are entirely by their actions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, very early on, Markham, either Markham or his secretary, I can't remember. No, it was Markham, uh, shouts at Bo for being a Philistine or a plebe or something like that. Right. Right. And you can see where that conclusion comes from. He's got the cowboy outfit on. He's a big talking, dumb looking Texan, um, caricature. It's a huge caricature, but then, I mean, first off, I know that this is like a little classist thing they were throwing in there, but he loves music. And also, he wasn't just watching that horse race around the field because it was going to make him rich. He was really excited. Oh, very. He loved seeing that beautiful animal do its thing. Mm -hmm. He had layers of depth. It was just the other character can't see it. And I think that's how every character was kind of reacting. We, We get the idea that the second wife probably is cheating on him. And doesn't love him, just married him for the money. But there's no evidence of that from her no. actions. No. Um, yeah, Goldie, there was that bit about uh, where the new wife was arguing that Goldie didn't know when to give up the ghost, which is not what I thought that phrase meant, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not mm-hmm. Goldie's problem at all. That's not, Goldie by absolutely is not clutching at Bo. She just cares about him and is trying to take care of him. Right, and he but, the fact yeah. that he calls her every time he goes out of town means that well, there's still something there of some yeah. kind. Yeah, even if it's just even if it's just care and concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a connection, and yeah, yeah, it was not clear if either Arkham was like already having an affair with her or was like trying to, or if he just was going for the sort of Spengali angle of yeah. I want her to think I'm a genius and fund all my projects, and she just happens to be young and attractive. I have to say, my favorite moment in this episode. Aside from everything Goldie said and did, uh, was probably just that really quick moment, like maybe four or five minutes in, when he says something like, I love you to his secretary. And she waits yeah. for like oh. two minutes. And then she just says, I really needed to hear that. Yeah. And yeah. there's this other weird beat after that where he doesn't acknowledge it. And you can see her deflate a little bit, like, oh, he, he didn't mean it. Yeah. That was, I. that's a really good bit of little like work under the surface and out of the long legacy of, uh, lovelorn secretaries in Columbo. Yes. yes. That, <laughs> that might be my favorite outside of any old port in a storm. 
Oh, God. Oh, that one's sad. That one's really sad. I know, that one is this tragically was, sad. This one is kind of sad, because it's just kind of brief, but that one, it just goes on for so long and just gets like, oh. Well, this one isn't quite, like, it, it doesn't seem quite as certain. I mean, it seems like she may have a bit of a crush on him, but it's more like she just needed someone to acknowledge that she's been working really hard. Um, mm. and, yeah. and at least that's how it read to me. She has one of the most annoying lines of dialogue in the episode, though. Which one? Which one? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, well, she <laughs> says it over and over again when Columbus yes. is around his office. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, that was. There were actually some. There were a few uh, dialogue and other scenes that really drove me up the wall a little bit. I hate to make this confession. But um, when we get up to the point where Columbo is in the queue at the uh, whatever department it is that handles building licenses, mm-hmm. you know, that you can see the joke coming. They're basically waving it in like, oh, it's going to be a really long line. Oh, there's going to be a longer line. And I, I told my wife, if, if he gets to the desk and that guy's out to lunch, I'm shutting this down. <laughs> And it turned out, yeah, they, they dragged it out. They really made you well, wait. Well, he wasn't lunch. out to lunch. He was eating lunch at his desk. He was still there eating his sandwich. Come on. Hated that. Unbelievably. Uh, so I got the address for the building. Oh, sure, sure. It is at 1801 Century Park East in Los Angeles, of course. Mm-hmm. It's called the Barrister is Executive Suites. Oh. And it offers a service I've never heard of before, and it's slightly baffling to me. Okay. It is a virtual address. For $99 a month, you get a local professional business address, one complimentary online notary. Uh, You can use the address for business cards and shit, which, of course. And there is a greeter in the lobby who will welcome your walk-in clients in case you're using one of the 4,000 meeting spaces. Okay. Wow. So it's almost like a a weird shared office kind of space thing. Basically, I guess, guess, Yeah. yeah. Odd. So anyway, that's uh, that's what they were building. They were building a virtual address uh, thing. Well, I'm sure once upon a time it was an actual real oh, office sure. building, but now in our wonderful age, you can just kind of get a fake office building, which is. I hope it's like uh, Marley's, you know, the fake brand of cigarettes that shows up in a lot of different related. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where there's just like a couple of construction sites somewhere in like the valley where you can go and film a construction site scene, and they never build anything. <laughs> Oh, I like that idea a lot. We just kind of keep this going. Yeah. There's a there's a business two blocks down from the building, by the way, called Everything But Water. Yeah. I wonder also, what you Also, I just realized there. it's Morley's, and I feel like I should apologize. I think it's uh, Morley's. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think it's yeah, I think it is Morley's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why that smoking really man did those. Yeah, use those. I we'll do feel out. like the kind of people who listen to a podcast about Columbo are also the kind of people who really know their like fictional brands that show up in different movies like they would call me out. Oh yeah, no, we'll get letters. With with the, well, Forrest Tucker, I kind of almost wish there had been more of him because I actually liked oh, him totally. in this episode. I liked his character. Like you said, John, there were indications that there was more to him. But I'm looking at my notes about some weird things that I wrote down that he had said, and it makes me think like maybe he had just sort of had resigned himself to being murdered because. Earlier, like, uh, when I my question before your thing, where he said, you know, think about, like, oh, you'd really like to design my burial vault, wouldn't you? He makes, and there's another thing he says, um, where he sees Markham getting kind of pissed, and he says, like, oh, if you think of any uglies, forget about it. Like, he knows something's going to happen with this guy, maybe. Yeah. So maybe when Markham does show up, just pops in the back of his car, 
you just kind of oh okay well crap this is it I don't know yeah yeah well, he, he did kind he's of he's got a death drive guys yes yes that's it <laughs> he's leading heavily into the death drive he's, he's into hard. it can't he's do it if he's into hats, it the music beautiful yeah. horses his heart's failing he's part of him <laughs> that's right yes the, that's right I've heard the, the yeah the uh, the pacemaker right yeah yeah maybe he, he uh, death as a lover huh he. <laughs> He craves it in his way. Yeah, there uh, he was kind of playing. Now that I think about it, because I, I was trying to figure out what kind of Texan he was playing, because it really wasn't like that stereotypical Simpsons running in and shooting off your six guns character. Right. But he might have been playing a bit of a, um, a, a gunslinger because he really was playing the character real tight. Like he when he walks into that, like he drives like a maniac, but he walks into oh, that yeah. office like he didn't drive crazy. He was walking in like he's just, I'm going to go take care of business. Mm-hmm. Walks into the office. He's still being really controlled and tight and then whips the tiny city apart. He tended to go back and forth like really emotional extremes and then he would tighten himself back up. I do feel like he might have been a little bit of a gunslinger character and maybe that's, you know, maybe Mallory's right that he saw his death coming and that's how he met it. Well, there we go. We solved that. Yay. That's why they didn't show the murder. Phew. <laughs> Thank goodness. We'll Do you think he way. shot him? By the way, that was. I, I, I mean, don't it's, know. It's likely. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't. Did know. Did he have like a a much more complicated murder plot planned, and we don't get to see it? Possibly, and also uh, <laughs> relying on this ranch that he's not familiar with, that nobody's ever going to be going into that shed the next few days and discovering yeah. the body. That's a big chance to take. And I then, think. like, hoping that somebody is going to want to dig up the foundation of your building so that you can... Or maybe maybe that part of the plan, uh, like, appealed to him later, but it kind of seemed like it was implying he was hoping the cops were going to get wind of it, dig up everything, and then leave it alone so you could rebury yeah. it. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was wondering about that. At what point did... Yeah, the architect, at what point did he decide to go with that for the plan? I Did he maybe not have a plan <laughs> for disposing of the body up to that point of the cops getting involved i don't know because he couldn't have counted on goldie calling the police he assumed everybody would think the guy had left town was traveling maybe he was going to leave him in that shed indefinitely i don't know so it's kinda, yeah i was I wondering never, how long that probably would have worked out a lot better you can't get artistic with your deaths if you kill someone in los angeles and colombo might get on the case you right. gotta just <laughs> drop the gun walk away let somebody find the body well, I mean, it's odd that Columbo was involved in the case at all because it's a missing persons case, not homicide. So it's weird that he would even have been assigned to the case in the first place. Which I was wondering about that, too. Oh, yeah. Because that's well, they've done that. That's... A, they've done it a couple other times. Well, yeah, but the look... theory on that, though, is that he knows from the beginning. Like, I, I, I have to imagine it was not like only when he heard the classical music playing in the car that he got suspicious. Like, oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. He must have heard, like, this guy's a missing person. Something about it seemed fishy to him. Like, this is not the type of guy who goes missing. Um, right. And decided to start off by, well, I shouldn't even really be on the case, but, you know, gosh, hello, ma'am. You're the only Mrs., you know, Williamson I can think of. Yeah, it, it just seems odd to me because, I mean, it's come up in the past where people get mad, like, well, there's no body, there's no murder, you shouldn't even be on this. But that doesn't... He just keeps going, 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 and there's not really there aren't really a lot of people getting in his way directly because of that. He is able to continue the investigation as though mm-hmm. he has found a body, as though he knows somebody was <coughs> specifically murdered. 
So the- well, we we talked about this previously that in in the LAPD anyway, uh, homicide detectives do investigate missing persons. Well, I mean, the other time I remember that coming up specifically was in uh, old fashioned murder, where he only mm-hmm. got that because he was in somebody else's office. No, no, because the missing persons guy uh, was gone, was not in his office, and Columbo was in his office. Like, oh, all right, I'll go anyway. Yeah, but so, we we talked about it a long time ago. I wish I could track who we talked about it with, but we had come to the conclusion that it was not unusual for homicide detectives to, you know, get their act together and and okay. investigate near missing people's. Hey, I looked up uh, Morley cigarettes. Do you know they uh, they date back all the way to 1961? What? Really? No Are you serious? On what? Yeah, there's there's uh, Dick Van Dyke. Oh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, uh, Millie, is it Millie Helper, I think they said? Yes. Gives, uh, accidentally gives, uh, where was it? That wasn't, no, it's Buddy Sorrell's wife, Pickles. Oh, yes. <laughs> gives, just absentmindedly gives Richie a, a pack of cigarettes. Oh, and it's, Pickles. It's no, no, no. Dang it, Pickles. That's terrible. And it was also, it was the cigarette, <laughs> dang it, Pickles. <laughs> it was the cigarette of choice for the Twilight Zone as well. So I have photos here. Of Telly Savalas, William Shatner, and Jack Klugman all holding Morley's. Nice. I I need that picture. I think that uh, picture would bring me more joy than most things in my life. On its on its way. You'll find it on Twitter in a moment. Thank also, you. So so the X Files people were huge nerds then. If they were trying to re- oh, yeah. refer back to the Twilight Zone stuff, that's fun. Bigger than you thought. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Spike smoked Morley's. Oh, okay. Rachel uh, doesn't smoke regularly on Friends, but when she does, she smokes Morley's. George has a Morley on Seinfeld. Yeah. Wow. No, oh, and you know what? I think um, it turns out uh, that the kid who saw the entire run of uh, Saint Elsewhere and the Snow Globe, uh, I think he's <laughs> smoking Morley's in the final scene. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's it too. He's actually he's actually. So that means it ties into snow. Cheers. So yeah, it's uh, yeah okay. It's not a snow globe. It's just a pack of Morley's that's, yes, that's, that's a special edition. The tobacco is falling in a little, yeah. It's lovely. <laughs> mad about you involved somehow. I have no idea. I don't know how that works. Um, so I, what was the one? Oh, sorry. Oh, the, the, um, uh, the uh, big players in this, uh, John Finnegan uh, and Columbo from beginning to the very last episode in the 90s, uh, he's got kind of a fun... A little bit part in this is Carl, who seems to be the construction foreman, uh, who doesn't know directions, uh, but he does. <laughs> but he has a nice job in this. Uh, John Fiedler too, uh, Piglet, and Mr. Peterson from the the uh, Bob Newhart show is in there. Is the very very concerned uh, doctor who provides some uh, very good exposition. Uh, that guy has one of my favorite voices. It's a great voice. That's why he was Piglet. He's got an amazing voice. Yeah. Oh, honestly, he was the uh, he was the uh, the killer in that one weird Star Trek episode. I think it's supposed to be like uh, Jack the Ripper, but Jack the I don't know. It's some weird thing. But yeah, so uh, yeah, it was kind the of original fun to series. See. Yeah, the original series. There's some episode. Uh, I think I think uh, Scotty was accused of killing some lady on some planet they're on, and it turns out it was actually John Fiedler oh, who had been possessed by oh, some weird wolf in the fold. Wolf in the fold. Oh, thank you. Wow, goodness gracious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, they're man. they're at a. Uh... A planet that's sort of like hedonism bot planet. And, oh, okay. Uh, Gabby okay. like gets like a da- like a private dance with uh, an Argelian uh, or Argelian. I always forget how that's pronounced. And then um, she shows up dead. It's a very classic. Oh, like, oh who keeps don't, murdering don't, all these women? Don't take a Scotsman to the hedon pl- hedonism planet. But it wasn't I him mean, though. It was Piglet. Piglet did it. <laughs> I think. I think. Didn't they? Don't they imply in that? Oh my gosh. 
Don't they imply in that that the same weird entity had also like inhabited uh, whoever did the Jack the Ripper killings too? I yeah. think. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, way to go, Piglet. Jeez. Like, anyway, this we, is. Yeah, you guys, we got to talk about the fact that Piglet is the doctor in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. And yeah, yeah. It, so surreal. He's very, he's very, very useful for uh, giving that information and also giving uh, Columbo a nice free checkup too. I, I'm a hundred percent for any show that has any of Doctor Bob Hartley's patients as extras. Yes, that's right. Always, yes. always one of my favorite things. I'm, I'm a little shocked that uh, Mr. Carlin never showed up in any of these Columbos. He was doing a lot no, of character director just... stuff. He was, yeah. I wonder what he, why he never showed up. But all I know is, once you guys do wrap up with Columbo, if you guys ever do start a podcast uh, rewatching the original series of Star Trek, please let me know. I will do the Wolf <laughs> well, of I actually, you th- know, I thought you know the this. names of the aliens. I don't know most of those. So yeah, I mean, no, definitely I mean, not. Definitely, not the world was, needs more podcasts about Star Trek. I'm sure no. there's already a lot, but uh, well, I, I would I listen kinda, to it at least. I was kind of thinking of doing one because. Uh, and sorry, it's anecdote time again. Hmm. Uh, growing up, my dad was a huge fan of Star Trek, and it was on in the house all the time. And it was about four or five years ago that I realized I have seen every episode and every film ever made about Star Trek, and I couldn't tell you jack shit really? about oh, any of it. Really? It's completely out of my... I remember like like maybe a dozen things I could probably tell you. But like recently we rewatched the first Star Trek motion picture. And I remember how old am I that I called it a motion picture anyway. Well, no, no, that's no, the name. That's, that's the title. That's what it was called. That's I know. The I, I, film. I didn't say Star Trek, the motion picture. I just said the Star Trek motion picture. It just sounded really <laughs> old. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I was watching it. I remember when I was a kid, just like being blown away by that thing and remembering nothing of it and then watching it now. And it is ridiculous. It's like, you know, the special effects, the matte paintings in particular are tragic, but, yeah, there's On maybe the a dozen. Side, Bones things. always looks like he's just done a bunch of cocaine. Yeah. Oh my like god! His I, yeah, jumpsuit, yeah. his beard. Oh, Disco Medallion Beard McCoy. Yeah, that's fun. That's some fun stuff. He should have had his own shit. I want that oh, guy to have a show. <laughs> I love Bones. I mean, I, I, everybody I think has kind of a core member of the main trio that they identify with the most, and Bones is just my fucking guy. I oh love yeah, that. yeah, I know the best. Yeah. Definitely but uh, yeah, but I was kind of wanting to do a podcast where I hang out with somebody who knows Star Trek backwards and forwards, and then I start watching it, and then they have to help me get uh, to understand what the fuck I just watched. I will do this. I okay. will volunteer. <laughs> please, please, please. Nothing would bring me more joy. Well, the fun thing, too, uh, is if you would take an adversarial role to it, too, like, I, all right, convince me. Convince me that was worth watching just now. Why was that any good? Yeah, that'd Absolutely. be fun. That'd I mean, Star Trek has been tattooed onto my soul. Like, I, I, <laughs> I don't have any choice in the matter. I know it's ridiculous. I love it more than anything in the world. Like, I have a tiny letter called the Shatner Chatner. I have a rule with <laughs> Nicole that for some reason I'm ever in a room she knows William Shatner might be in. She has to get me out of there because we can never be in the same room together because I will fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you ever see the animated series? I did. I did. I love the animated series. I've only seen yeah. a little bit of that. Not a lot. I actually, you know, re- just from what I can remember of watching different Star Treks and the animated series, I, I think I like the animated series best of all. Huh. Oh, Interesting. It, it was fabulous. And, and uh, I don't recommend watching uh, the Spockumentary uh, that Leonard Spock- Nimoy's son Adam made last year. I saw it twice oh, in really? the theater. 
it's definitely missable. I don't mean it's bad. Like, I, 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 it's not bad, but it's not necessary to anyone unless they're like already the kind of person who's like, oh, good, Adam Nimoy's documentary is finally out. <laughs> oh, well, then I'm, I'm probably going to watch it then. So, yes, okay. So then I, uh, I, I'm in that category. So, yeah. but uh, like, um, uh, Leonard uh, refused to join the cast of the animated series because they originally were only bringing back the white actors. They were not asking Nichelle Nichols or George Takei to come back. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for him to hold out like that and then for them to come back on the show, like it's possible uh, they could have been recast at that point and not shown up in the movies. Like it was a pretty substantial moment in right. Star Trek history. And we are talking a lot about Star Trek. We are. No, no, we are. Yes. <laughs> we spent half an hour of the last episode talking, talking about, about hot dogs. dogs. Yeah. And so. oh, okay. You know, Knowing that they're not supposed to do it, they did it anyway. We got a good, we got a positive review that was like thanking us for talking about hot dogs and going off on tangents. So now all I want to do is go off on tangents. So, no, <laughs> one we more don't... Then, just since you said you love Star Trek the animated series, mm-hmm. um, William Shatner was touring in a play at the time that they were recording the show. So in every city, it, like they would be stopping in, he would just record his lines by himself <laughs> and then mail the tapes to the studio, which is like the most Shatner thing I think I've ever heard in my life. Well, I think uh, the, 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 that series, it's those classic um, bootlegs of him like uh, pronouncing sabotage. Sabotage. Right. Um, actually, it's sabotage. He has that sign. He's like, don't tell me how to do it. It sickens me. Like that whole thing where he's just being this complete, total jerk recording session. Yeah, I think it comes from doing the animated series stuff. So, I love him so much. Nah, he's That's an odd great. fella. He's an, I think he's an well, okay we, guy. Yeah. We were talking about, like, one of the things we, we've talked about, or at least I wrote about on the, on the Tumblr when it comes to the William Shatner episodes, is that is the one guy, like maybe him and Adam West, the, the one actor who, like, there's never a moment when he's not doing his thing. Because I was grabbing screen caps, and usually when you grab a screen cap of anybody, there's a good chance they'll have like one eye closed or they'll look like they're spitting. Shatner in every screen cap just looks like Shatner. Yep. He, he never looks off base. He constantly looks like he's delivering a line or listening or crossing a room. He's just – he's pure. He's got an absolute essence. I, Shatner is amazing. <laughs> and now, now I'll – but two is fade into murder, uh, which is that fabulous episode where yes. Shatner captured this type of boyishness and and gentleness. And I, I genuinely would argue that like what he brought to the role of Kirk, like opened up a sort of gentle, curious, nonviolent masculinity that was totally absent from television before he started doing that. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yes. yes. And like, I, I, I yeah, 100% think, agree like, with that. Yeah he is amazing for that alone but like just the ways in which in that episode like first of all his chemistry with Falk like when they're horsing around at the end um, filming each other um, the like sadness when he just says uh, you know I'd appreciate it very much if you'd stop calling me sir like it just kills me he's incredible yeah that 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 episode that's one of the really really good sort of um, I guess end realizations or whatever where the killer is kind of like eh yeah, you got me. All right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's one of my favorite ones, I think. As opposed to... Actually, this one's kind of interesting, but it's just very... Again, it's like got that flatness that I think Patrick O'Neill has throughout the entire episode when he's just getting in the cop car. I like that he's so pragmatic about it. And Club was telling him, really, it was a brilliant idea. That was a great idea. But 
it just doesn't feel the same as when they've tried the other times, like in that Shatner episode. It just doesn't right. exactly come I mean, off know, in this one. They can't all be Shatner. It can't. Every right. episode can't be. Columbo sort of falls in love with you and then has to ruin <laughs> Like That right. would be too much. I'd be a wreck. I'd be an emotional mess. We probably should. I know I love the tangent, but we probably should zoom back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, although I do want to say, uh, you mentioned, RJ, you mentioned uh, wondering why um, Jack Riley was never on Columbo. Yes. Uh, he was. Wait, which one was he? Uh, he, he was the commercial director on Candidate for Crime. Oh, great. Yes, yes. Which, had, I which by the way, yes. had another one of our favorite wives. Because remember that, like. Uh, oh, they go of, at the house, yes. And she yeah, was, I yeah, can't yeah, remember yeah. her name. Yeah, but, yeah, I, yeah the, was, like, yeah. sarcastic drunk who was so happy to help her husband get caught. Yes, yes. Joanne Linville. Right. Yeah, who, yeah. and... Larry Linville's wife, right? <laughs> yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And Janice Page was Goldie, right? Yes. Uh, she was... I thought she was on Star Trek. No, I'm wrong. Oh, okay. Because uh, the actress who played the wife in uh, Candidate for Crime was a Star Trek uh, alien. Anyway. Anywho. I could have sworn she was on Star Trek once. So I, yeah. let, let, let's talk a bit about uh, Falk in general in this, because he had to be working, sure. of course, in front of and behind the camera. I thought there was really some very, I mean, with a bunch of the other uh, slight shortcomings you brought up, uh, flatness on the part of some actors, uh, terribleness on the part of some actors... I thought Falk was actually very good. This was like a really good Columbo episode, just about Lieutenant Columbo, not Columbo as a whole. But I thought there was some really, really great stuff uh, of him in this, like some good character work, some good Columbo personality things. I, what do you guys think of that front? Not I'm super let... strong opinions. That sounds right. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'll let Ma- Mallory go first because I, I spent a long time talking, so... Yeah, no, I, I I wish I had something more interesting to say than, like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, because there's great stuff. I mean, because uh, there's even, like, um, um, family members brought into it. Uh, Columbo has the advice from the brother-in-law who's a lawyer that the whole family's real yeah, proud yep. of, they bring up. Yep. Um, <laughs> I love it, the, the scene where uh, he shows up at the uh, the class. Um, oh, gosh, yeah. That's, that's actually, that might be one of the best scenes in the episode. Because... The, Markham is up there talking about um, the pharaohs and burying people in tombs and the fact that the pharaoh was concerned about crime uh, right. you know, to keep people out of the tombs and robbing things and whatnot. And yeah, then they have that great conversation after. And Columbo, you know, well, the guy was hungry, so Columbo offers him half a candy bar. No, raisins. <laughs> no, he also offers him raisins, a box of raisins when he's trying to yeah, take off. My, my favorite Falk bit in this episode is around, I guess, around the 50-minute mark. You have to go a long ways to it. But it's when they're digging up the pile. And he is just going through every emotion all at once. And you can see, like, dread and anticipation. And I feel this is a conversation I want to have at some point of whether or not Columbo knew all along that digging up the pile was what Markham wanted him to do so that he could bury the body. Or if he was gambling, because he just looks tormented for this like ten minute sequence. Well, and the, the press is there. I, I it's not often you see oh, yeah. the press actually taking, you know, footage of Columbo. Like, oh hey, here's this cop who's costing the city a bunch of money, tearing yep, up a building. Yeah, it seemed genuine. Yeah, 
He's wearing a he's wearing a backpack and uh, that made him look like one of the the extra GI Joe characters. Well, just remind you, I know. Do you ever um, see like the old uh, Doonesbury strips from back around this time? I think where they had that Roland Headley character. They have like, yep. one man news unit with a giant backpack and camera at the the presidential conventions and it blows up. I think or something like that and ruins his face for TV or something like that for a while. Hey, there's your Doonesbury yep. 1970s reference, everyone. Boy, the kid's been waiting for that for a low of these 57-odd episodes. That's fun. Next next podcast. Yeah, we've got we got this huge list. of the, Well, our next podcast is going to be that. Our next podcast is just going to be us uh, listing ideas for podcasts. I'm okay. <laughs> I like that. It's just each episode, so each episode will be like one of the million podcasts we're said we're doing next. It's, just I, gonna uh... be, it's the next podcast podcast. I had a terrible, like, in, like, absurdly and annoyingly artsy idea for a podcast. Oh, Go yeah. on. Which was, uh, it's this is this is obnoxious beyond belief. It was going to be a podcast where nothing was decided until we started it, and every episode would focus on something you need for a podcast. So the very first one would just be figuring out the title. <laughs> And so it would just be like me and somebody else and a guest or whatever just talking about, what should we call it? And then the next one, what should it be about? And then just bit by bit. I think How that intolerable. Could, that could, well, I think that could work if like every episode is about 15 minutes long. It's this very short, like 15-minute podcast that's just try, trying to figure out what the podcast is. Well, let's you and me do it. Cause season we one. Never, we never go over time. No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, one, one thing we were talking uh over chat earlier uh this week about this thing um the once markham has the pile cleared out thanks to colombo uh, spending all that time money and resources um and he figures okay i'm going to finally uh, dump the body he he goes to the closet that amazingly nobody has looked in for the body uh, low these <laughs> right. many days and then he's driving back to the instruction site and he blows his tire oh yeah what so why is that in there? I don't. It added yeah, so strange. I, I originally thought this might have been lifted from an Alfred Hitchcock episode, huh? Because there is a story where a guy murders his wife, puts her in the trunk, uh, and then you know is driving out to the California hills, somewhere in the hills, the California hills. For Christ's sake, Jonathan, he's driving out to the hills, and he's going to dump her off a cliff or barrier or something, and a cop sees that his tail light is out, and stops him. And the the gag of the episode, more or less, is that the cop is incredibly stick to He just will not let the dude go. He's like, yeah, you got to get that fixed. The guy says, oh, I'll get it fixed tomorrow. He goes, no, there's a garage up the way. Come on, let's take you to the garage. We'll get it fixed. He's like, oh, it's pretty late. Oh, I know the guy. He'll come out. Don't worry. And he drives him to the garage, and he's like, wait here. We're going to go in. We'll go get the parts. And just it's driving the guy fucking nuts. There's a bit where, like, they can't open the trunk, and the guy seems relieved. And he's like, oh, no, there we got it. And then by shaking the trunk, it makes the light turn on. Anyway, uh, I was expecting like that to start happening, especially because I'd already sat through the the bureauc- bureaucracy joke, mm-hmm. and I was not holding out hope that the episode was not going to do that to me twice. Um, but no, it just it just it kind of happened. happened, and then it disappeared. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. I mean, it adds a little bit of stress there, kind of. But then once it's done, why did they spend time on that, and not something else? Uh, it was a very re- weird choice to me, I think. I feel like we've been hard on this episode, and I just want to throw I out do. that. I do. Yeah, me think too. It's a bad episode. No. I, I, I'm kind of picking apart little things, but like, 
a lot of it worked really well. It was beautifully shot. Goldie was delightful. Yes. Columbo was Columbo. Like this is, this is a case of like being really hard on your like consistent yeah. minus student. Cause you want them to like be the best. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, here's I a, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, here's a, a bit we didn't talk about that I think was really excellent. And it's a great aside, uh, which is when Markham and the young wife are playing tennis she goes to retrieve the ball and finds one of Bo's bloodied hats. Oh, right. Yes, that whole odd thing. Yes. And it was, well, it was fantastic because, you know, it, we didn't see him commit the murder, but mm. we're sure he did. And he's being so guilty because he does – instantly he does the thing that tells you a, a Columbo murderer is the murderer. He just goes uh, – he insults Columbo, says, you understand the difference between missing and on a vacation or whatever his fucking line is. Mm. And he's condescending and he's snide and he turns his way as quick as he can and he gives alternate theories to the right. problems. But we haven't actually seen him murder him. And when you see the hat and he looks actually stunned, there's a moment where like, well shit, maybe it didn't. Maybe he wasn't the murderer. That maybe would something have been else an amazing happened. twist. Wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. When well, he was dr- I say amazing. Maybe amazing is too strong a word. And awfully it would have been nice twist. That's an awfully uh, nice that's one. Instead of a, yeah. 45, 45 minutes into the episode, if they just suddenly said, actually, this guy isn't the killer. That kind of, I would have counted that as an amazing twist. Well, I mean, because that would have like, been uh, like a uh, Les Luch of the Commodore. They sort of did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we agree that that's a weird episode that doesn't fit into any formula right. we have for Columbo. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was, you know, he, when he's drinking and he just looks disconsolate and completely fucked up. And I, I was thinking the first time I watched this, well, maybe he didn't kill him, but he knows that he had a motive more or less. So now he's freaking out, but no, of course it all just looped back around, turned out to be Goldie being mischievous. Yeah. just a uh, <laughs> cut, cutting a, cutting herself in the arm and then just kind of, no, no, no leg, back of the leg, cutting the back of her leg. And then just and smearing, then wearing... smearing a hat over her, the back of her leg as she bleeds. So that visualize that, everybody. Visualize that for a second, won't you? Just take a second. Think of somebody taking a knife to their leg and taking a big old 10-gallon hat and just rubbing it in their blood on their leg. Ah, uh, the old All number right, two. All right, there we go. Yeah. Well, then she goes, she goes running around dressed like some kind of like disco pirate in hot pants. Yeah. Which, like, you just cut your leg. Put on long. Guys, she's wearing long Goldie pants. Got Goldie, and if you ask her to not hang around her house in hot pants, you might as well ask her to be a totally different person. To not have gold <laughs> lame sheets and gold lame curtains, like some kind of uh, James Bond villain obsessed with gold lame. Yes, Goldie. Goldie yeah. is the best. Goldie. We should talk More about Goldie. Goldie and how great she is. Actually, no, we have been. We we've said nice things about Goldie. That's no, a no, good character. 10, Fifteen minutes straight. We need to make this conversation nothing except about how great Goldie is. All right, fine. I'm we'll serious. Talk. I okay. fucking loved her. I thought she was amazing. Goldie is great. Goldie is great. It makes me wonder. Like I, I have not seen Janice Page in a lot of other stuff, and I, I would really like to now. Yeah, she's just got like she's got a wonderful natural brassiness. It doesn't feel forced. Yeah. She also uh, she was on a soap opera called Santa Barbara in the early '90s. Oh, sure, sure, sure. That's where uh, 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 Robin Wright got her start. Oh, no kidding. Oh, huh. Uh, and her name on that show was Minx Lockridge. Oh, for crying oh, out loud. Okay. Really? Wow. Minx? Minx. Yep. On the TV show Minx. Baby Makes... Oh, on Baby uh, Makes 5, she was Blanche Riddle. Oh, these are great. That's a good name. She was, she was on St. Elsewhere. She played a character called D. Macaluso. Okay. I don't know why that's hilarious. It's a sitcom called It's Always Jam. 
Uh, all her, name, her names are a little more boring uh, the further back you go, but <gasps> Trapper Meeks. John MD, yeah. Oh, she was on that. Oh, fun. She was on Saint Elsewhere as yep. a female flasher who stalked the hallways of the hospital to cheer up the male patients to celebrate her fiftieth <laughs> birthday. I think I remember that episode. I, I think need I to remember watch that. that. I think I remember that. Oh, I just had a. I had a small just freak out here because I was looking at the Trapper John MD appearances and the last episode she was in was called Strange Bedfellows. And I was like, she was in Strange Bedfellows? Ah. The George Went episode? Ah. But no, she was nope, not. Nope, nothing to look forward to there. She's no in an 87th luck. Precinct episode. Oh, and by the way, I, I, the All had a long piece about the 87th Precinct today. Really? Oh, awesome. Yes. I, 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 well, I posted it uh, to the JMT podcast Twitter account. I retweeted it. Perfect. Um, but yeah, it's a really long article on how they were able to find the complete series on DVD and talking about how it was actually kind of groundbreaking and silly that it only went one season, uh, that it was actually quite progressive for the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely want to try and check that out. And had the multiple names for Ed McMahon and everything else, too. <laughs> so, yeah, for some reason, they didn't mention the two brilliant 90s Columbo episodes that were also based on 97th Precinct, 87th Precinct novels. What a shame. That's right. Write yeah. in and correct them. That's okay. I think I think those are better left, uh, better left forgotten uh, to history. Janice maybe. Page recently remembered being one of the first insult victims of Don Rickles and oh! uh, spoke up to the Hollywood Reporter after he died. Oh, that's nice. I'm did, glad she's does she say, Did she say what the insult was? Oh, this is incredible. Okay, listen to this. So she actually wrote this, it sounds like. I was at the top of my professional game that night in 1957 when I headed to the famous Slate Brothers Club on La Cienega Boulevard to hear an amazing new comic named Don Rickles. The place was small and packed as we were ushered to a tiny table near the front. Don entered, and after a few jokes, he mentioned to the audience that I was in the room. There was applause, and then began a verbal tirade that shocked and embarrassed me beyond words. Don <laughs> proceeded to tear apart my ripe old over-the-hill age of 34, my looks, my talent, and my successes. Oh, gosh, that's kind of sad. She she just took it all personally and was really upset. But oh. then a year later, uh, <laughs> a year later, she ran into him in Las Vegas, told him that she felt bad about it, and he was really nice. And then as she walked away, he said, get over yourself, Janice. <laughs> <laughs> And then it just immediately goes, like, I'll miss him. So it's like, (laughs) she did not like him, and then he died, and she wanted to say something nice about him. (laughs) Ah, fun. Yeah, that's, uh, the the (laughs) idea of Don Don Rickles and Bob Newhart being best friends is one of my favorite things. And I'm always surprised by it, but it's great. Yeah. 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 Uh, Girlfriend. Right, back to uh, how great Goldie is. Um, yes, sure, yes. And then, then we'll start wrapping things up, yes. <laughs> so, well, is there anything else we've we've missed? Because, yeah, it, it, Mallory's not wrong. We did kind of bury this episode yeah, a little it, bit. Yeah, it's weird. I didn't, I didn't mean to either. Uh, I remember mm. when I finished watching it, I left my computer with, with a feeling of, oh, that wasn't so bad. But then talking about it and, and pulling out some of the strings a bit more, like some of the kind of flaws seemed a bit more... Apparent, I don't know, but yeah, it yeah, wasn't a bad episode. I don't. All pretty big elements that you know, if your if your killer's not really like popping, yeah, um, that's the thing. It just yeah. hamstrings the episode in a way that's hard to get past. So it's not that anything was terrible; it's just that it could have been way better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's worth watching just for Janice Page, who I keep wanting to call Janice Ian, which I know. <laughs> it's- <laughs> 
that would have been an amazing episode. Oh, there was um, oh there was one. Oh, sorry, go ahead. sorry. No, go for it. No, no, please, please. Uh, I, I think I was wrapping up anyways. I was just saying she's worth watching it. Um, there's a sort of uh, you know uncomfortable Orientalist scene in the beginning yes, where she is massaged by a, a Japanese woman who is dressed in a way that's like really Orientalist, and then says yeah. a couple of sentences of dialogue to Columbo in Japanese. It's unclear what she says to him, and then no one really addresses it. Yeah. Right. It, there was, it was definitely a bit of an othering joke. It's like, LOL, you know, Columbo can't, can't understand her, har har. Sure. That's not a great joke. No. <laughs> That's no, not a good also, bit of humor. It was also kind of a fascinating moment for her, and I'd be super curious to know more about like that actress and um, what she was saying and... Uh, you know, oh, yeah, you often get that in shows from the seventies where there will be a brief snippet of somebody who is not white or heterosexual, and the moment will be, uh, you know, neither sensitive nor open-minded nor uh, compassionate. But there's also that kind of moment of, oh, this person's being acknowledged, this person's present. What does that say about mm-hmm. how you know, uh, like, white studio writers thought about such people at the time? And and that's that's interesting. Yeah. It didn't uh, play to me like it was played as a joke, though. Like he seemed kind of like, oh, I wonder what she said about me. It said to me, I'm not sure. And then he, and he responded to it. He was like, I said, or C. So he responded in Italian, right, but then also right, trying right. to respond, which I thought was interesting. Like he was, oh, use my language. I don't know. I thought, what if it's uh, yeah? It wasn't this total knock, but it was right. also not clear. Is this meant to be a joke? Are we meant to be intrigued by what she's saying? Are we meant to be confused? Are we meant to laugh at her? Like what's Right. She says on. she says quite a bit, and that the weird thing is, like, yeah, you don't find out what she said. If if any of our listeners uh, could see this episode and let us know what is said in that episode, we'd love to know. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I'm really curious. Yeah, I think what if that was the Asian girl from Husbands, and she was just reading him the Riot Act? <laughs> no, I, right, I, I, I still I still haven't seen the film, so yes, I'm an idiot. Oh no, she haven't seen Husbands. I still have not seen. Uh, it. Okay, yeah, I can't. I still it. It. Yeah, it's too much to explain, but. Yeah. Um, I know yeah, people that's... behave badly in it. I could, I could see. <laughs> I know that there would be uh, uh, quite a reason for someone to be reading uh, any of the characters from the Riot Act, but I don't know the specifics of the film yet. Fair, fair enough. Get back to me later. And my young uh, life, I haven't seen it. <laughs> that actually, that whole series has some kind of weird jokes in it. Uh, like, although one of the things that made me love Goldie so much is, you know, she's getting dressed behind him getting into her dressing gown. Oh, right, and she has yeah. a line about, uh, my friends call me Goldie, and since I'm standing here practically naked with you, you better call me, you better be my friend. So then you, and then you get like a, a kind of bashful Columbo thing where he's like, oh, what? Yeah, oh, sorry. He, I, which I always which love those. Which is so charming. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is super charming. And then what's great is that like she seems to identify that he's deflecting. And so she just walks in front of him and says it again. And I fucking love it. Because she just, <laughs> she won't let him like defer the fact that she just owned him. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, Oh, she's great. Also, it's just really funny to watch her get out of the towel, which I assume is how yes. it must work. The, the way that she like does this weird lumpy little shimmy, that's yeah. not sexy at all, which is fabulous. Cause there would have been a real moment to do like a sexy thing. Um, yep. but that is not what they are going for. Yeah, she's nope. going. She wants to get down to business. Get to talking about what he's there to do. Like, let's just get to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, I'm flipping through my screen caps real quick to see if there's anything else of note. Well, I know there was one scene uh, that I really liked. It was uh, your your kind of classic 
uh, Columbo talking to a working guy scene uh, when the first time he shows up at the building site during the weird kind of unveiling of the model of the ugly building. Um, that security guard who's like, ah, oh, you can't come in here if you. Yeah, that, I thought that was a lovely little scene with that guy. They they uh, t- t- a bit longer than I thought it would. I suppose. Yeah, yeah they gave him a little, little more activity. Um, they did the same thing with John Finnegan. Who, by the way, this is his first Columbo. I don't know if this I was his that first right. one. Oh, okay, yes. got it. All right. Uh, and I mean, they give him a lot of little bits of business, and it's nice that uh, it shows. You know, especially because Columbo is now. More than more than usual, he is in the world of rich people because mm-hmm. he's got not just Markham, but all three of the Williamsons. So giving him like a security guard and having the security guard be like, "Yeah, yeah, cop, go on through," and having John Finnegan be so chatty and and slightly dumb is yeah. nice because it yeah. gives him a good foundation. Yeah, so that that's some like a good solid uh, common Columbo stuff, and also um, uh, the scene where you have a lot of other cops hanging around looking very bored and annoyed while he's going through stuff. Yep. When he's just sitting in the car listening to tape after tape, <laughs> the cops just hate him for wasting their time while he's just sitting there listening to really bad country music in the yep. car, which I thought that was a fun scene, too. Some of that, I don't know if I would qualify as country. There was that No, that was, that was bad country music. It was not good. It was really bad stuff, yeah. It had I, some I, twangy I, guitar in it, but... I like I like some of it, but that first song they were playing just sounded like Yakety Sax. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, that's what it was. You're right. Yes. So, um, yes, uh, you know exactly. What, I, what would have made the episode much better for me, and again, it was a fine episode. I'm, I'm not trying to bash right. it. Yes, but right. I, I like the, you know just along the lines of Columbo having a good relationship with the the working uh, working class would be if just him showing up on the construction site and everybody just turns around like, hey, it's Columbo. <laughs> And then when their <laughs> boss comes on, they're like, oh, it's Mr. Markham. Right. But uh, I'll do that in my head canon. Which, which actually, uh, you doing that uh, reminded me of one line that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Markham's on the uh, job site, and somebody's yelling to him. Somebody's like, why does everybody have to yell? You're on a major construction site. It's loud. <laughs> People are going to yell at that. You, you're an architect who does this for a living. You should know, hey, you're going to have to yell with the machinery around. Uh, that's a weird thing about the script, too. It was a Stephen Bochco script, teleplay. Yeah. So that's why I'm surprised also that a lot of it's kind of like, eh, yeah. Yeah, he was do- he was doing doctor work on this one pretty much, right? And it it had some, I don't yeah, know. Second opinion. Anyway. I have one last lame gag I wanted to do before we start wrapping up. Oh, sure. Uh, and it's for Mallory. Okay. All right. Uh, dear Prudence. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I'm a young woman who's recently married a giant Texas blowhard, and his ex-wife keeps interfering and just won't give up the ghost. What can I do to let her know that it's over? <laughs> Honestly, if it's Goldie, I would say change your entire personality to become more like her. Uh, <laughs> like, she knows how to live life, and you don't. Um, yeah, that's that's my advice to you, is take a few pages <laughs> out of her book. And frankly, leave that guy and just get together with her. Like she is incredible. <laughs> well, that's right, one thing I loved. Take... I I loved that they still that they were friends. Yeah, that they were very friendly with each other. Yeah, no, so, they, 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 they hang out all the time. Yeah. It, it's yeah. what? Yeah, I thought that was great, but also odd. Yeah. Especially yeah, I hope when, be... I hope when my wife divorces me, we stay friends. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been fantastic uh, once again. Yeah, well, thank so, you. So, um, so your overall impressions of the episode as we're wrapping things up, 
uh, you kind of said, but I mean, like, uh, what, what, how do you feel now? We've talked about how would you feel immediately after watching it? Just kind of, yeah. Mallory, go ahead. You go it's first. Sol- I would say it's a solid episode. It's definitely worth watching for the fact that, you know, Peter Falk got to direct. Um, it is definitely middle of the pack in terms of uh, killer and also ways in which Columbo figures it out. But yeah. fabulous Janice Page. Yes, she's wonderful. Um, I, I agree with you. And I feel like, yeah, we've, we've kind of uh, done a lot more uh, negative talk about this one than I even thought it was going to. But I mean, yeah, it, it's an okay episode. It's pretty solid. Yeah, because Falk directed it. It's neat to look at it, just the way the thing looks, the way it's structured, the way it's put together. But yeah, there's just these elements here and there that don't quite work. And it's kind of a shame because mm-hmm. I, th- I think the gotcha at the end is really... Uh, a really good one. I think Falk's great in it. But yeah, a lot of just kind of like, eh, could have been way better. So it's slightly disappointing. And I am a little, yeah. I don't know. John. Yes, sir. What would you rate it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it had pacing issues. I'm still very impressed with being at Falk, a first time director, uh, being able to navigate around that really technically challenging scene that apparently Levinson and Link like deliberately set him up for, so that's nice. Oh, uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of really in- interesting elements. I like the fact that it's playing in the formula, but it still upends the formula periodically, mm-hmm. which is you know a fairly clever thing to do, and to, to still make it work as the formula with those little variations takes a deft hand, and I'm I'm impressed both with. Uh, Botchko and and Falk and uh, really just everybody, uh, but yeah, it's not a it's not a standout episode. It's a it's a good watchable one. I, I again, I don't think I would suggest it would be anybody's first five, six, or even ten Columbo episodes. Right. But if you come around to watching it, it's a fine episode to watch. And I'll give it uh, I'll give it uh, I'll say six tiny cities out of ten. <laughs> okay, that sounds nice. I'd like to live in a tiny city. It does sound pleasant, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, kind of a nice little city. Yeah. What was that? I'm away from home. I think it's what he described oh. it at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot to mention. When he's describing that office building, doesn't it sound like fucking hell? Oh, yes. It sounds terrible. It's oh. so... It sounds like a Starbucks you are not allowed to leave. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it's, it's just... It's, it's one of those buildings where you're not supposed to leave at all. You're just supposed to stay there and work and work and work in that office building. Yeah. It's not... Oh. They know. predicted the modern tech industry. Yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah, exactly, pretty much. Hey. Uh, well, Mallory, thank you for doing this again. Where should people be uh, looking for your work these days? What do you have coming out and coming up? You know what? Don't look for me. I, oh, I don't be <laughs> Greta Garbo. Oh, you've um, got just... stuff out there. What you do? Gosh, okay. don't hide under uh, a bushel basket. Sure. Yes. So uh, I uh, have my second book coming out uh, early 2018 that I'm pretty jazzed about. It's called The Merry Spinster. Oh. Um, and it is a collection of short stories nice. that are unsettling oh, nice. uh, and, and distressing. So that will be a lot of fun. Uh, and I also, as as you guys mentioned earlier, write the Dear Prudence column at Slate, which is a lot of fun and full of uh, me getting to tell other people to make different choices. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's it for now. That's it for now. I, I don't have anything else that I want to plug. All right. John, do you have anything else you want to plug? Any appearances? Anything else going on with, with the book these days? What not? No, I actually, I actually just bailed on San Diego, so I've got no appearances coming up whatsoever. What? You didn't have a multi-million-dollar movie you're doing instead of a book, really? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I just didn't. I, I was looking for airplane tickets, and I'd have to go for like four extra days to be there for one day. So I'm out of that. <laughs> and from what I've heard, oh, that's a wonderful place to be in for four days, especially oh, for that worst. for that event. So I, I basically don't go to San Diego because I love life. There you go. Great. And you want to catch some weird plague from nerds? <laughs> yeah, I've done that before. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a show for this time around. Uh, if you'll listen to other episodes of Just One More Thing, uh, you can go to our website, jomtpodcast.com, or look for us in the TV and film section of your favorite podcasting app or program. Uh, like we mentioned before, we've got a Twitter account where we repost other people's items about uh, Columbo, other news we find on the Internet. Uh, that's JMT Podcast on Twitter. We're also JMT Podcast on Tumblr, uh, where, as John Oltz mentioned earlier, he posts screen grabs in the episodes. Um, other sort of odd bits of ephemera we pick up here and there around the internet. You'd be surprised. There's actually quite a bit of it on Tumblr. Yeah, I did, who knew? There's Columbo people up there, along with uh, people who are into weird old signs, and who knows what the heck else are doing on Tumblr these days. I don't know. I'm too old. I still read it, but I'm too old. I don't understand 90% of what I'm reading on there. I don't know. It's a clicks and buzzes. Like, R- that, RJ, crazy, RJ. like that crazy RJ. robot music that kids are all playing RJ. these days. I don't know what that is. Oh, boy. RJ, breathe. Get out of breathe. here. Get off my breathe. lawn. Please. Oh my god. Oh, sorry. Just having that breakdown. We were I had an episode. Say. I had a bit of an episode. Uh, yeah, if you want to write to us, uh, we like getting your emails and comments. Uh, just write to us at uh, Columbo at the CDDesk.net. All right, well, that's the program. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. I'm RJ White. I'm John Morris. And see you later. Uh... Oh, listen, just one more thing. Uh,. Oh, Lieutenant, would you like to turn around? I don't want to corrupt you. Okay, you can turn around now. Oh, fine. Uh, the point is this, Mrs. Williamson. My friends call me Goldie. And since I'm standing here practically naked with you, you better be my friend. Would you mind repeating that last sentence? I don't think I quite understood. (laughs) I said... Since I'm standing here practically naked with you, you better be my friend, and my friends call me Goldie. Oh, I see. Well, Goldie, uh...